So we're in Hebrews chapter 13, and we thank you, Father, for bringing us into your word this morning. We thank you for these high school graduates. I don't know how to pray strongly enough, Lord, that you would fasten them to yourself in powerful and spiritual ways. I, we all, we dearly love these kids. Some of us have seen them when they were little, and it's hard to believe that the time has passed so fast. And then all of a sudden, they're, they're moving into a, uh, an older stage of life, and we just ask that your Holy Spirit would rest upon them in a special way, and that everything they've ever learned about you, Lord, we would come up to the surface as they faced new challenges. And thank you again for your word, Lord. It is, it's a pleasure to be here. And uh, we look to your face, Lord. We look to your heart. We look to your, your wisdom to uh, speak to us this morning on this very appropriate subject, especially as we are looking for a new pastor and, uh, and rebuilding our elder team and all the rest. And as our, as our deacons play a dual role, uh, in leadership uh, as of uh, now, and we just pray, Lord God, for your breath on Cedar Home. Thank you for the good spirit that's here already, and, and then just uh, just magnify your, your word to us today. And some of us need to be comforted, some of us need to be challenged. And uh, however you want to play out the scenario today, just do it, Lord. Thank you, Father, that we have the freedom to walk in here with a Bible under our arm and the freedom to worship openly. We're in many parts of the world right now. People are hiding in huts and buildings and basements and out in the woods somewhere and fear for their very lives for the privilege of doing what we can do freely. And we're not saying uh, that we're sorry we're here. We're glad we're here. But comfort our brothers and sisters around the world who take their very life and their family and their safety and their job and their homes uh, um, to put them at risk to worship you. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we ask that you breathe on them and breathe on us now, Holy Spirit, as we go into your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hebrews chapter 13. Just a few sermons away from the end of the book, and uh, it's pretty exciting to me to feel like we've gotten through this, this whole book and learned so much, and I hope these sermons play back in your mind over the years to come, because I think they're going to be very, what we've learned is going to be very practical. Um, <clears throat> I want to quote a guy by the name of uh, C. Philip Green, and in a message called Love Your Pastor, isn't that a great title, by the way? Uh, in a message called Love Your Pastor, uh, he says this, if you really want to love and honor your leaders, remember them by the way you live your life, by the way that you follow them, and by the way you pray for them. Let me quote that again. He says, if you really want to love your pastor and honor your, if you really want to love and honor your leaders, remember them by the way you live your life, follow them, and pray for them. And then he tells the following stories. An elderly woman walked into a little country church a friendly usher greeted her at the door and helped her up the steps. Where would you like to sit, he asked. The front row, please, she answered. Uh, you really don't want to do that, the usher said. The pastor is really boring. Um, do you happen to know who I am, asked the woman. No, said the usher. I'm the pastor's mother. <laughs> she, re 
She replied indignantly. Well, do you know who I am? The usher asked. No, she said. Good, the usher replied. <laughs> Whoops. At the end of another service, a woman greeted her pastor and said, I enjoyed the sermon, pastor. The pastor, humbly receiving the compliment, said, Don't thank me, thank the Lord. To which the lady replied, It wasn't that good. <laughs> I got to share this one thing that happened uh, from, by a really cool guy. I wasn't going to share this this morning, but a guy that really, really loved the Lord. But his way of handing out compliments was kind of... Well, anyway, you don't, you don't know who I'm talking about, but um, I had, was done preaching, and, you know, sometimes people say good things. Sometimes they don't say anything at all, but, you know, I thought it was pretty good, you know? I mean, I, you, know, you know when the Lord, you know, is speaking through you, you know? You feel it? And he said to me, I was not unhappy with that sermon. And I said, give me a second to steady myself because that's one of the greatest compliments I've ever heard. How, I mean, you just bowled me over with that. We were friends, so I could, I could say that. But sometimes it's hard to appreciate a pastor and the, and the other elders in the church. It really is um, because we're less than perfect. Uh, but pastors need appreciation. They need it more than, than you would know. They do. You have no idea how much the pastor and the other elders of the church need appreciation, okay? The question is, how can we as a congregation, because pretty soon I'll be out of up here and I'll be down there with you guys or somewhere else, wherever God takes me. But um, how can a congregation show appreciation to their less than perfect leaders because we are less than perfect? That's news to you, right? Yeah. How can people in the pews care for the ones who care for their souls? How do you love a pastor in such a way that, that truly encourages him and benefits you as well? Well, Hebrews chapter 13 tells us, and if you know, we've been going through Hebrews, and we've gone through this huge body of doctrine. And I could, I could spend an hour just doing that right now, talking about the doctrine we've gone through. It, it just shakes me to my core when I think about what we've been studying, that that, um, that Jesus is God, and he, be, he became a man. Not just any guy, not just any man, but God, man. And that he went to the cross and, a, and accomplished and a, a perfect atonement because he was perfect. Amen? I mean, that truly is exciting to me. I mean, if it was just some other dude on the street dying for me out of a sacrificial heart, but... It wouldn't matter because he's a sinner, but Jesus wasn't a sinner. He was perfect, and he was God, and he provided us for an atonement that is unspeakably perfect when it's applied to our lives. But then we come through all of this doctrine. How's that for a synopsis of 12 chapters of Hebrews? We come into Hebrews, and then we start with the practical, the practical applications, which is the way most of the biblical writers wrote their books. They would write half or more. This is like 12 chapters in one of doctrine and awesome truth, and then they go to, well, what does it mean to me when I walk out the door of the church every Sunday? What does it mean to me at work or raising my children or um, dealing with my singleness or, and, and, and on it goes. What does it have to do with me? Okay? And we've seen 
these practical applications, how we are to treat other people in the body of Christ. How do we treat ourselves? How do we treat God? And now, some verses about how do we treat our leaders in the church. How should we treat our leaders in the church? And the Bible is very clear that we are to show respect for the spiritual leadership in the church, pastor, teachers, and the other elders, especially those who preach and teach um, in the body of Christ. We are to show special, me, special attention to them. And so the title of the message today is Final Exhortations, Part 4, How to Act Towards Our Leaders, Our Spiritual Leaders in the Church. So let's read this passage. It's only a few verses, verses 17 through 19 of Hebrews 13. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. And so the way that we're going to dive in here is we're just going to use three questions today. We're going to ask them and we're going to answer them according to this passage of how to treat your leaders in the church. To some of you, this may be brand new. To some of you, you've never done this. To some of you, you've been doing this. But it's always good to hear what the Word of God has to say about how to treat our leaders. So first of all, right on the bottom shelf here, what is the meaning of the word leaders in verse 17? Because it says, obey your leaders. The word... You might want to know that, that that word is indeed plural. It doesn't say obey your leader. It says obey your leaders in the church here. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that God has appointed a plurality of elders, okay, that include godly, spirit-filled, trustworthy pastors, teachers, elders, and shepherds to lead, to discern, and to oversee the flock and are to be highly esteemed by the congregation, especially those who teach and preach. And so these are speaking primarily of the church elders, the church elders, okay? And again, I'll just to say it the same thing differently. These are godly, truth-telling leaders, godly, truth-telling leaders who help oversee the flock and who lead and teach us the word of God with authority and power to do what? To convince us and help us grow spiritually in our walk with Christ. And every church that Paul went to in the New Testament, he set up these elders, these godly men. And I'd like to just prove that point by going to a few scriptures in Acts and elsewhere. But Acts chapter 14, verse 23 says this. Um, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. And right off the bat, I want to ask you to pray for us as we seek to replenish our elder board, our elder team, okay? And it's partly your responsibility to do that because we want God, men just like I've described so far and will continue to describe being our elders in the church. Um, right now we have our deacons who are playing a dual role that they are graciously doing to, to keep the ship all right, but we need to 
repopulate our elder team, and we would appreciate your prayers for God to lead us to the right people and them to us um, within our congregation or new to our congregation, which would take some time to have this uh, set of leadership in our church. Anyway, um, Acts 14.23 says that Paul and, and, and Barnabas set up elders in every church they went. If you just skip up, if you're using your Bible, but we go to Acts 20, it says somewhat the thing, same thing, but elaborates a little bit in Acts 20, 28. And this is what it says. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Um, be shepherds of the church which he bought with his own blood. He's talking about the elders here. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. And elders have to be there, the front line of defense for the church. Um, from even, even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Be on your guard. Okay? This is what elders are for. Pastors and other elders are for in the church. Titus chapter 1, verse 5, and eventually we'll go all the way through verse 9, but we'll just do one verse, says this. Paul says, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I direct, directed you. So uh, when he says every town, he meant every church in every town that we've gone to. So we're looking for this uh, in our new pastor and the other elders in our church, okay? Now, just to say this quickly, to be, a, to be an elder is a high bar. De to be a deacon is a high bar, and to be an elder is a high bar. The, what differentiates a deacon from an elder, you might be thinking, is the elder needs to be able to teach and has the gift of discernment. But everything else is applicable to the deacons. But the elders have the gift of teaching or the ability to teach and to uh, be discerning of good and evil, of right and wrong, of, good, of, 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 of the wolves in sheep's clothing, and on and on. And so I want to read to you this bar, okay? And uh, in Titus chapter 1, uh, five through nine, or rather six through nine. Now listen to this. This is a high bar. An elder must be blameless. Ooh, ouch. Boy, he's starting high, isn't he? Now, everybody knows that the elders aren't blameless, right? Just ask their wives. I mean, that's simple. Or their kids. Or their friends. They're not blameless, but they're, they're kind of blameless, okay? The husband of one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient, since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless. Boy, they mentioned that twice. Not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but pursuing, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as, as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So, um, uh, no, there's other lists, First Timothy 3 and so on. I just chose that one because um, it had some things in there I wanted to mention. 
But these, this is the meaning of the word leaders here in verse 17 of Hebrews 13. Now, second question that we go to is, how should we treat these people that are in the church? How should we treat the pastor and the other elders, as well as our board of deacons? Okay, well, there are three things here. Number one, obey them. Verse 17, obey your leaders. It's right there, and it's mentioned twice, by the way, obey. Okay, obey is mentioned twice in, the ver- in verse 17. What does that mean, obey them? Okay, does that mean when they walk by you in the hallway that you genuflect before them? No, this is what it means. It means going along with their directions or commands. Going along with their directions or commands. Now, think about this, everybody. Would you truly have any problem doing that if your elders fulfilled the qualities that I just read? Yes or no? I wouldn't either. If we had men that did that in leadership, I would have no problem uh, obeying them because I know that what they tell me is going to be true and honest and for the good of myself and the church. And so obeying them means going along with their directions or commands. Okay, it means that we can place confidence in them and do what they say. In other words, if, if we believe that God has given us these men, we need to obey them and do what they say. And, you know, there's a comfort in that. There's a comfort in having a set of godly leaders in the church, a great comfort. It's kind of like marriage. There's a great comfort in being married to someone you really trust and love. Amen? Well, there's a great comfort in that. I am so, I'm so confident and comforted by the fact that I know that my wife would never, ever ask me to do or tell me to do anything that wasn't for my own good. <laughs> and I'm not sure why you're laughing about that, but uh, <laughs> I find it very comforting. Very, very comforting. I really don't see, know what the humor is in that, but anyway, some of you could tell me later. Not only do we need to obey our leaders, but we need to submit to their authority. One of the dirtiest words in society today, submit. And a close second is authority, right? Hoo-wee. But the Christian should have an attitude of submission. Submission. And here's the deal. If we know that these leaders are thinking of our best good, why can't we submit to them? We should. Okay, the Bible tells us to, but we should. We can. We say in comfort. If we have godly, godly elders and leaders, we can submit to them. And the Christian should have an attitude of submission to godly spiritual authority in the church pastor teachers and other elders who feed and lead the church and we shouldn't have an attitude of rebellion toward them and i think about the stiff-necked israelites moses oh my goodness what he had to deal with it shouldn't be that way okay constantly complaining placing unreal expectations and on our leaders it's important to stress that we are to submit to their authority now for a brief moment, I want to talk about what this doesn't mean because I think it's important. Because yes or no, have not men 
misused their leadership in the church. Some of you have come from churches where the leadership misused their authority. And you are a little gun-shy. You're a little sensitive to this. But I want to assure you that you don't have to be sensitive to that here. Maybe than you were somewhere else. But anyway, uh, I, I really want to say what this does not mean. What, what does it not mean to submit to authority? It means blind obedience without question. Oh, whatever he says, oh, I guess I got to do it. No. No, don't. That's not what submit to authority means. The question is, is are my leaders, is my leader, what he is saying consistent with the Bible? And if it's consistent with the Bible, then pass the potatoes, you know? But if it's not, you have every right to say no. Now, what does that presuppose? You're going to know your Bible. In fact, we have a group of people that did that. And if you can possibly believe it, they exercised this with the great Apostle Paul, who was unquestioned in his purity and in his spirituality. But listen to, listen to the Acts chapter 17, 10 and 11. Interesting, really. Um, as soon it was, as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now, verse 11. Now, the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness. And what did they do, everybody? They, they examined the scriptures every day to see if what that no good scheming Paul, no, that wonderful spiritual uh, example Paul said was true. They examined what Paul, the apostle Paul said was true. And if they examined what the apostle Paul said was true, we can examine any leader in the church to see what they say is true. Any leader. And so um, this does not mean blind obedience without question. And it doesn't mean that the pastor and the other elders can be on a power trip or uh, be dictators, my way or the highway kind of uh, attitude. Okay? Ruling with an iron fist. Okay? Peter makes this clear in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. He says, not lording it over others. I'm not allowed to do that. I cannot, dare not, lord pastoral leadership, nor can the elders or our church leaders of any stripe lord it over you. Now, sometimes church discipline is in order. Okay, I'm not saying that that's not. But we are not, as a day-to-day -day leader, uh, privileged to lord it over you. The Bible does not give... Any, you know, I think of the... Remember Jim Jones? The guy that lorded over people and finally moved to Guyana, and in 1978, I think 900 and his 14 followers drank cyanide mixed with Flavor-Aid or Kool-Aid or whatever it was, and they died. Well, whatever he says, uh-uh. That's not what we have to do. Okay? We do not have to submit ourselves to tyrants but godly leaders. Um, I want to 
expand on that by quoting uh, John MacArthur. He says some really good things in this one little paragraph here. He says, Every New Testament congregation had godly men who ruled it. They fed and led the flock of God. In many churches today, the congregation rules the leaders. This sort of... Because I'm talking about the opposite now. This sort of government where the congregation rules the leaders is foreign to the New Testament. Church leaders are not to be tyrants because they do not rule for themselves but for God. But the command is also unqualified. Obey your leaders and submit to them. It is the right of such men under God and in meekness and humility. Meekness and humility. I'm supposed to be meek and humble. Okay? And so are our elders and our deacons. To determine the direction of the church. To preside over it. To teach the word in it. To reprove, rebuke, exhort. They are to shepherd the flock of God. Exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. And not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, yet not as lording it over. This is 1 Peter 5. Not, yet not as lording it over those allotted to their charge, but proving to be examples of the flock. Pastors and elders are under shepherds who serve under the chief shepherd. And just as church leaders are to rule in love and humility, those under their leadership are to submit in love and humility. First uh, Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13, he quotes the NASB, but I think I might have it in the NIV, but, but we request, we request uh, of you Brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Okay. Jesus said, He who receives whoever, whoever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. When a man is placed in the rule of a local church, our submission and obedience to him is the equivalent to the submission and obedience to Christ. When you do not have spirit-filled leaders who rule well or submissive people who follow well, you have chaos and disunity in the church and open the doors to all sorts of spiritual problems. And so how are we to treat our leaders we're to obey them, we're to submit to them, and I'm preaching for Mr. Wright here this morning. You know who Mr. Wright is? I don't either. But pretty soon, he's going to be probably standing, but maybe sitting here preaching to you. So I'm kind of greasing the skids for Mr. Wright. You know? By the way, I'm going to warn you, my last sermon as interim pastor is going to be how to treat your new pastor. Okay, so this will be clarified a little bit more. But I'm preaching for him, too, and for our elders and for our deacons. Okay. So we ought to obey and submit to them because they, are, they live. This is a high bar. Anyway, and then pray for them. Look at verse 18 and 19. Pray for us. Uh, we are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to be honorable in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you. We need to pray for our leaders. This is a tough day to pastor. It's a strange day, uh, day to pastor. Um, I feel so old uh, in some ways. 
It's as if society has rushed by me in rebellion against authority and social mores just collapsing and when's the next mass shooting going to be? Remember when those were an aberration and not a regularity? Technology, godlessness, sexual standards being turned on their head, right? Is, uh, uh, God's judgment knocking at the door of our country if not already walked through the door. It's a tough day to pastor. The sheep bringing into the church, and thank goodness that sheep come into the church, the sheep coming into the church with complexities that even ten, 5, 10, 15, 20, certainly not 35, 36 years ago when I started, bringing them in. And we have to deal with those in love and truth. It's a complex time, you know, for a pastor and for elders and for deacons. And pastors can end up being some of the most hurting segments of our society because they're required to wear so many hats, right? I love Chuck Swindoll. I never heard this message, but I fell in love with the title. He was talking about pastors, and he says his title was The Lonely Wine of the Top Dog. That guy can, he can turn a phrase, can't he? And, 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 and it's true. Sometimes the pastor sits in his office and he goes, I'm not going to say what he goes, but anyway, it's tough when he sits in his office, okay? Leadership is difficult in today's church, and, and leadership from the pastors and the other elders and, 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 the, and to the deacons and the Sunday school teachers, nurture workers, junior church leaders, every day need prayer, every kind of leader. Now, what do they need prayer for? Um, let me give you a list. Prayer for wisdom, prayer for safety, prayer for protection, prayer for love, prayer for discretion, what and what not to say and how to say it, prayer for discernment. You know, uh, that's so important. Wolves in sheep's clothing are going to come into the church. I don't know if you know it, but I have a knife in my back pocket. And it's really sharp, and it's really rusty. And anybody that comes into this church and thinks they're going to hurt my fellowship, I'm going to cut them apart with that rusty knife. I am on guard. That's a metaphor. <laughs> All right? I love you so much. Now, I won't let anybody hurt you if I have anything to say about it. And I'm only the interim pastor. Think about what Mr. Wright's going to be like, right? He's going to have a, what do they call those, AR? Whatever. And pray, pray for the pastor to be able to preach in the Holy Spirit. You know, we can connect our sermons, and we can parse the Greek verbs, and we can illustrate, and we can get the, the, the points or the however, and we, can, and we can have the gift of teaching. And, but if the Holy Spirit's not on, it's just dead wood. Not that I've ever experienced that. Oh, my goodness, you actually believe that? <laughs> And uh, he needs the fire of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Pray for the, the, the people that have open hearts. 
Pray for his wisdom to lead with the other elders. Pray for him to receive and cast vision, to shepherd, to uh, uh, just to, to be pure and clean. Pastors are not bulletproof. They have sins, weaknesses, blind spots, limitations, and they have needs. They're human beings with feet of clay. Did you know Paul asked for prayer all the time? Almost every church he went to that I know of in the New Testament said, pray for me. I think the one that stands out to me the most is um, the one in um, Ephesians. Pray for me that when I open my mouth, words might be given to me that might fearlessly make known the gospel. Pray for me that I might have words like I ought to have. Paul says, please pray for me. Sometimes I'm a scaredy cat. That's not the original uh, Greek, but, you know, that's what he's saying. I need power. And he's asked for all kinds of prayer. You know, pray for your pastor and pray for your other elders. They need prayer. Now I'm going to go to a last question here. Not only what our leaders are and what we're called to do, but why? Why should we treat our leaders with obedience, submission, and prayer? Okay, let's look at verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Wow. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us. So first of all, why should you treat your leadership in this church as it forms and continues and grows and solidifies over time? Why should you treat those people with obedience, submission, and prayer? First of all, they keep watch over you as men who give an account. They keep watch over you. That could be translated to keep awake for. Uh, loose sleepover. Be on guard duty. On the lookout for. And literally, it could mean watching for your souls. In other words always being diligent to care for the spiritual welfare of the congregation, especially through the Word, so that you walk in truth and not error. Third uh, John 4 says, we don't have it for the screen, I have no greater joy to hear that my children are walking in the truth. What gives us joy? That you're walking in the truth. What breaks our heart? That you, that you stray from the truth. But here it comes. Here's the punch in the gut for the leaders as men who must what? Go throw that up there again, would you? Uh, verse 17 of Hebrews 13. As men who must what? You know what? I got to give an account. These teachers and preachers and leaders have to give a special account to God for the way they're taught and for the way they've taught and treated God's people. And the higher the responsibility, the higher level of accounting and judgment we will incur from the Lord as to how we did it. Now, every Christian is going to be judged, not for their salvation, 
There, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You will never ever again as Christians be judged for your sin. But you will be judged for the stewardship of what God has given you while you're on this earth in relation to the church. Any, every one of us, no exceptions here, uh, will stand before the believer's judgment seat of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says we must all, this is for believers, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And I think a lot of believers just either don't believe that or push that out of their mind. That you and I are going to be judged for how we handle our spiritual gifts and did we put our time, talent, and treasure into the church the way God called us to do it? This is going, we are going to be evaluated. Now, I, here's what I got to say, and I'm, I'm going to be tender about this. Some of you have been hurt in the church. Somebody slammed their heel on your toes. And maybe you were doing your best, and, and someone with a lack of tact or a lack of discernment, maybe even a leader, landed on you. It's not that unusual. And you got gun-shy, and so you, you, you sneak in and you sneak out. Some of you are just lazy, or some of you are just, you know, uh, I did my time. Whose time, I, by the way, I want to know? I did my time. What's your time? And is it consistent with God's time? But for whatever reason, you're not ministering. You and I are going to be held accountable. I know so many pastors that they retired out of, at one time or another, of the ministry, and they dropped out. They don't even go to church. And I've always, Deb and I have talked about this, I don't want to be one of those. The only th thing that I want to get in my way of serving is 911. Okay? I don't want to drop out. We're going to give an account. Romans 14, 12 says, So then each of us will be given an account of himself to God. Now, but, guess what? Guys like me are more accountable than you are. It kind of scares me every time I read this verse, but I'll read it here real quick. Real quick, I'll read it really, really fast. Not many of you should, James 3, 1, Not many of you should presume to be teachers my brothers, because you know that we who teach shall be judged more strictly. I think about that, okay? Because I'm going to be judged more strictly, okay? So why do we, we, we treat our leaders with obedience and submission and prayer? Uh, well, first of all, because they're going to be judged more quick, uh, uh, severely, but also... Another one in verse 17, so, uh, Hebrews 13, 17, so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Do you know that you have power? Every single one of you that comes to church has power. Power to what? To make the pastors and elders, other elders and deacons joyful? Or more burdened. That's a lot of power. Okay? Congregants can remove the joy of the leaders or bring joy to the leaders. And God wants church people to bring his leaders joy. Are you a joy giver or a joy stealer? It's a question. You say, 
Why? Because so their work will be a joy, but not a burden. It's where we get our word groaning. Groaning, in other words, and this is what it means, adding unnecessary weight to an already heavy load. It's a heavy load to be a spiritual leader. And then if you're a person who is, shall we say, as one of my friends put it, a blessed distraction in the church, you add to their burden, or I add to their burden. A person in the church who is obstinate or difficult or rebellious or disrespectful or stubborn, self-willed or whining or complaining or self-centered is making life harder than it, is, than it has to be for leaders. My friend called them blessed distractions. I have another word for them, but I can't use it in church, so I won't. Okay. I remember the first day that we got to one of our interims. Oh, nobody's, the person's not listening to this on TV right now, or whatever that thing's called that we look at. And um, we got there, and the first thing they started doing is ragging on their previous pastor. Rag, 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 rag. And how they showed them what to do, and I just, oh, man. You know, you don't want to start off on the wrong foot with anybody, but... I just did. I just said, well, whatever, you know. What can they do to me? Fire me? Big deal, you know. <laughs> and they didn't. And we became great friends, by the way. But I said, that's not how you, God wants you to talk about your pastor. And I know he's not perfect, but, but this is not how we, how we ought to talk about you and I. You, know how I. you know how you frame things? You say them, you can say something really hard without being... <laughs> A jerk, you know, about it. And you know what it says here, before we kind of wrap this up? This is no advantage to you to wear out your pastors and your elders and your deacons. This is no advantage to you or me. If, they, if, 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 if our leadership has to deal with rebellious, trouble-causing, troublemaking, stubborn, self-centered, difficult-to-handle, gossipy, immature people, they'll be worn out, drained, discouraged, and depressed, been there, done that, bought the T-shirt. And I know what it is to sit in an office or sit at home and wonder, do I want to go back there and face these, this person? Because all it's going to be is a downer. You're not one of those people. I know none of you hear that. But people like that can be that way. Causing grief, adding to their already difficult burden. Now, on the other hand, just to be fair, church leaders need to be humble, gentle, and patient, not harsh, right? We feed the sheep, we don't beat the sheep. Do you feel beaten today, by the way? I hope not. I think the sign of a good preacher is to... Uh, I've said this before, is to be able to beat and give a sloppy kiss to the people listening at the same time. Just love truth. You getting love and truth today? Um, that's my aim here. People need to support the pastors, the elders, the deacons. And if they don't, if they're not adding up to what they should... Here's how you criticize them. Do you know you can criticize your leaders if it's done in the Holy Spirit? Did you know that? Go to them prayed up, first of all, first and foremost, right? Filled up with the Holy Spirit, right? 
in a spirit of humility, knowing you and I are prone to whatever they're prone to, okay, going to them and saying what we say to them only with God's permission. And God hasn't given you the permission to say something to your leader or a church meeting or a wherever, whatever context, then don't say it. But if he's given you permission, say it in the Spirit, in love. I'm talking mainly, mainly privately right now. Pastors aren't perfect. They're going to mess up. But go in there trying to build a bridge, not to burn a bridge. Okay? Tell them you're going to be their ally and pray for them, not their adversary. And you'll win a friend. But if we go into the leadership and we just, we, we're, we're throwing fists and we're spouting our anger and spewing out our, our frustration, don't be a Mount St. Helens when you blow all at once. Tenderize those things with prayer and humility and brokenness and God's permission. That's how you keep, keep a good relationship with your pastor. Man, I'll tell you what, you guys. Oh, man. I'm going to finish. Some of the hardest things that have ever been said to me by people in the church have been my biggest growth producers in my spiritual life because they said them in the right way. It, I can't count very many of them. There's been three or four over the years. Man, did it ever hurt. But because they said them in a way that I could listen, they are great. They, they allowed me to, to have great forward movement in my walk with God. Amen? But if they had come in there just, you know, with guns loaded, you know how you get. You put on your heels. You want to throw a punch back, right? Sure. You're not listening to them. You're thinking in your mind how to reply to them. You're just reloading, you know. So it's important that we go to our pastors and other elders and our deacons in the right frame of mind, thought, and word. Okay, so what should we pray for? I'll close this. I'm, I'm shooting for 45 minutes, but that means I have to do everything in one minute. First of all, pray that they would have a clear conscience. Verse 19. Okay, I'm in James, so that's not going to work. Let me go back to Hebrews. Verse 19, Hebrews 13. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be... Whoops, verse 18. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience. Pray for your leaders to have clear consciences. Do you know that the point men in your church, the, the pastor, the other elders, the, the, they are a particular target for Satan? Why? Because they're the point men of the church. And the point man, man is usually the one that's picked off the quickest. The devil knows if he can start with the point men, and if he can accuse them and tempt them and take them down, then he's, he, he's done great damage. So pray that they would have good, clean, clear thoughts, clean conscience. Consciousness, consciousnessnessness, okay? Conscious. Distinguishing right from wrong. Pray that their minds are clean and clear and resistant to the devil's 
uh, arrows. Number two, that they should live honorably in every way. In every way. He desires, the writer, to desire to live honorably in every way. Verse 18. Can you keep that up there? Verse 18. Okay. So that they can see that. In every way. Okay. Hebrews 13, 18. Pray for them. Pray for your leaders to have a good reputation. And then finally, pray that they would be delivered from circumstances or difficulties beyond their control. Which means about all the time. I particularly urge you to pray that I might be restored to you soon. He's saying, pray that the circumstances and difficulties that I'm in are out of my control. Would you pray that I can come see you? Would you pray that things would be resolved and cleared up? I can tell you, man, situations come across you personally as a Christian and as leaders that you just go, oh, Lord, I need resolution here. Divine, spiritual-powered resolution. That's what we need to pray, if you wondered. So, let me finish with this statement. Each of you here today has a vitally important role in the life of your leaders and the ones to soon arrive. If you do what you're told to here in these verses, more than likely your leaders will be happy men. And so will you. Okay? So you say, Lord Jesus, help us. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be these kinds of people that we're told here, these kinds of people that treat our pastor and the other elders and our deacons, our leadership, with love, support, prayer. Help us to do that. And if we have a, 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 a problem, to handle it the right way. And to not gossip or be critical behind their backs, but go to them with a sincere, loving, humble, broken, truthful uh, conversation. Father, thank you for this church. It's so wonderful, and, and we're excited to be uh, moving forward. Continue to guide our search committee as they so long to fulfill uh, their role here, to get into the flow of your will, Lord, and nothing else the flow of your will. Bless us, Lord, and give us a day at the end. When we lay our head on, our, on the pillow tonight, help us to say we were fellowshipping with you. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.